1: Hey guys, it's Michael. And before we start today's episode, I wanted to let you know. Oh, here's Bryce too. And we're back. And we're back. Well, yeah, we're back for all new episode. I keep doing that. Um, yeah. This uh, week's episode gets uh, goes a little bit into the true crime. I mean, very much so into the true crime territory. It's a little bit of a new area for us here on the show. There is some graphic, murdery stuff in this. Um, it gets a little darker than we usually go at, at points. So just to be warned, if that's not your thing, um, you know. Uh, try it out. There's a lot of stuff you like in this, too, but we just want to give you a little heads up. It might be a little bit darker, more gruesome than we're usually into, uh, and uh, let us know how you like the show. Enjoy. Now they're definitely going to listen.
0: <laughs> it's Bigfoot Collectors Club with
2: Bryce and Michael. <laughs>
3: I know a ghost story or two Let's do
1: this <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host... Bryce Johnson. <laughs> almost jumped the gun there. <laughs> Bryce and, Johnson. And our super producer... Riley Bray. Uh, hey guys. Hi Michael. Hi. I'm excited about today's
4: episode. Me too. Bryce,
1: me too. Uh, you know, we always get excited with our stories of high strangeness. True. This one really caught Bryce's attention and uh i can't wait to get into how you found this story and obviously we'll get to the high strangeness yeah. later in this episode but this is an episode of bigfoot collectors club where the high strangeness has taken over almost the entire episode um we have a special guest today connected to that story that's right and uh bryce i'm gonna hand it over to you to introduce our guest and let's get into it
4: yeah well you know this is uh, uh a friend of a friend um how I met you, Jay, uh, through my wife and her uh, cohort Farah, who do makeup on a show that you produce. Is that right?
2: Well, yeah, I've I've uh, worked with Farah uh, a number of times over the years. Yeah, and I'll tell you I'll tell you how she how we hooked up, uh, how she introduced us. Well, first, let's introduce you to our oh, again. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I... Oh, <laughs> you should say my name and all that stuff, right? Come with us on, today bro. on the show
4: is Jay O'Connell. Uh, did I say that right? You did. <laughs> okay, great.
2: Hi guys, nice, nice to meet you <laughs> all. Nice to learn. meet you, Jay.
4: Yeah, this is the first time I've ever met you. Um, but Farah had texted me, and um, I was not familiar th- with this story that we're going to be talking about later in this episode. And uh, she sent me a newspaper article, and she said, you know, a friend of mine is researching this story for a documentary. Uh, uh, for a documentary, he wants to produce about it, and I read the story. And, you know, it, it immediately caught my attention, and I immediately wanted to know everything I could about it. And so I had to reach out to you, and I'm so glad I did, and then, uh, and now here you are on the show. Right, and so, we hear
1: you have some other connections to the paranormal. What is your personal paranormal history, Jay? We ask all our guests.
2: Well, I, I, cause I, I, I told Bryce when we talked on the phone the other day, because I am not—I will admit up front, I am— I lean on the skeptic spectrum of, so of, do we, you know, <laughs> of uh, Sasquatchery shall yeah, we say. Right. Um, I'm a, I'm more of a Bigfoot skeptic and, uh, I've been listening to the podcast and I enjoy it. And I note that you generally have someone, the, their paranormal experience. I thought, well, geez, I, you know, uh, I don't have any, but then I thought, um,
4: mm, always a number happens. of years
2: ago, and I'll tell you the story. Um, uh, I've worked on and off over the years with the Warner Brothers lot. And a number of years ago, I was um, walking to stage one day. You know, the offices invariably are as far away as physically possible from the stage. So I'm walking to the stage, and um, if you're familiar with the lot, there's an yeah, area... I used to work on yeah. the Warner Brothers uh, lot. Okay, right by the, um, uh, by the embassy court and the courthouse building. Yes. You know, the steps where, uh, where they sat yeah, on the, the steps the on Ar- in Argo. And, and ba- the Batman's, and, yeah, yeah. It's where Commissioner Gordon's... Yeah. Yes. There's a little park there and uh, it's called central park and oftentimes you'll see the dog trainers out there walking their dogs and or whatnot and i'm walking by there and from far away i see this scroungy looking dog or something and so i get closer and there's a, a teamster in one of his you know white vans parked next to it and he's kind of looking at it and as i get close to it and you know from us apart five feet away i look down and i'm looking at this thing and it's 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 kind of no hair it's kind of like wrinkly skin kind of a grayish got big kind of hind legs kind of mm. smaller that and it's got like this little scaly face it's really ugly and it's about the size of a medium medium large dog it's a fairly good size and i look into this teamster and we're both looking at it and we look at each other and almost at the same time we say Chubacabra. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the first thing i do i pull out my phone right but I don't take a picture of it. I call. I call operations a oh. lot, right? So I call up operations, and this guy that I've worked with answer Says, "Ronnie, you got to get down here to Central Park. There's a freaking chubacabra sitting right here." <laughs> and he goes, "What?" And I said, "You got to get down here." Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So finally, I, I have had picture from
1: sitting up, coffee yeah. spilling.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah, totally. <laughs> I have my phone
2: in my hand, and then it finally occurs to me to take a picture.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: So this is a few years ago. So it takes me a while to get to the app, to the camera and everything. Oh, shit, I got to take a picture. The thing runs off, goes into the bushes. <sighs> I think he crawled under, if you know where, where uh, Patty's uh, dance studio is, Miss yes. Patty's? I think he crawled under Miss Patty's. Wow. Now, I, I'm sure all your listeners this will is the Gil- what, This is you
1: know, the, the Gilmore Girls, The Gilmore right? Girls, yeah. right, the
2: Miss Patty's. We'll go look for him. Like three or four people come down from operations, right? They say, where is it? I said, well, he crawled away. So, you got your camera, did you take a picture? I said, No, he didn't take a picture. <laughs> now,
1: anytime anyone watches an old Gilmore Girls rerun, they'll know that in it Stars the Hollow, there's a, there's a chupacabra there's a living chupacabra. under Al Paddy's dance studio.
2: I mean, so he, it kind of became legendary. But a couple days later, Operations called me and said, Hey, the, the location manager over on Mentalist, he thinks he saw it in the jungle.
1: Yeah, and oh, the, yeah, the backlight. Yeah, the jungle the jungle. Back I
2: go, Really? He goes, Yeah, he took a picture of it. I said, Well, you got to send me the picture. Wow. So, he sends me the picture. And sure enough, it's in the shadows. You can barely see it. You kind of
4: the Warner Brothers like every Chupacabra. Like,
2: like every Bigfoot picture you ever see, except for the, you know the Patterson. Yeah. Film. Well, what right, happened right. to your
1: photo, You oh
2: your photo? No, you I, by didn't the time get I get it, he
4: uh, he's see? gone. Easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let that be a lesson to all our listeners right. out there. This is how it happens. It's right. It's not as easy as one would think to just you know grab a picture of an elusive crypto.
2: So anyway, I googled it and brought up Google Images Chubacabra. And I think, I don't want to sort of rain on the uh, paranormal, paranormal parade, Impossible. I think it was a hairless raccoon. I was going to say, it sounds like it could have been an animal with it mange. A, yeah.
1: That's what a lot of these things are, especially the Texas chupacabra. Chupacabra seems to be mm-hmm. coyotes that have mange. Um, that would certainly fall under this category. The original myth, however, from Puerto Rico is a very different right type Mm -hmm. of of animal and creature altogether that has a much more alien-like appearance, what we consider a traditional alien. And that seemed to be sort of uh, isolated to that particular time and area, and then stories as it spread.
4: I love the Chupacabra tale. I mean, for not just for... But for various reasons, one that it's like you know, relatively contemporary as to most of these famous uh, cryptos. Usually in lore, are date back to hundreds, yeah, and hundreds of years. Yeah. The, the 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 tale of the chupacabra originally started in 1995, and it came out of Puerto Rico. Oh, it's that
2: recent, really? It's that
4: recent, and it was reported by a, uh, a lady named, I think, Madeline Torrentino. I might have that name. I think wrong. that's right. But she had seen this creature um, that that I can describe as um, almost like with a, an alien head with spikes on its back. It hopped around like a kangaroo and had these like glowing red eyes and what I think is funny and what I love about this story and not to not to discount the physical evidence of the uh about a dozen or so chickens that she found insanguinated, which means completely wow. drained from their blood and and these I strange love that puncture word, Yeah and, and and puncture marks but she had just come out of the movie Species starring Natasha <laughs> Oh we know your love of species and, uh, I love that movie and she goes so you, oh here, here I go. Okay, don't, no, do it. don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't just- do it. So let me start. So she goes, uh, it's it basically was that it's like the creature from Species, and uh, and so everybody always was like, oh my god, is she seeing the you know she's having post uh, post uh, hallucinogenic effects and also this species. was a time
1: in Puerto Rico where du- during they're experiencing a sort of UFO flap strange lights in the sky yeah. other ra- uh, other ranchers uh, are are having cattle mutilation animal mutilations on their farms Well and- that's right and the yeah. story
4: the story took on such epic proportions not just of her tale reporting it to the news but actual all these farmers it became losing livestock not just cows but horses goats. Right. Um Chupacabra, literally translated, means uh, goat sucker. Goat sucker. Um, so they actually got the military involved, and there was a there was a colonel who established a military uh, militia to go looking for this the thing.
1: anti-chupacabra.
0: Yes, Enforce that's right. And, and,
4: and so they employed a military unit to go hunt these things down in the caves of Puerto Rico. Um, and then the story just takes on all kinds of different, like UFO-based secret experiments by yeah. the U.S. in these caves. It gets so strange, and then it sort of segues off uh-huh. into uh, the southern parts of the United States, where people started claiming to see these what they called chupacabras. And that's really where well, that's we're seeing think of the mange. Yeah, like. But even that one is aside from the theories of it being a dog with mange, there's a lot of. Uh, discrepancy points that kind of like... Don't fit that description. I mean, these snouts seem to be extra long. It does seem to hop like a kangaroo. I mean, there's that famous footage taken by a highway patrolman officer where he's traveling down this dirt road in Texas and he's got the thing right on his cam, uh, dash cam? On his dash cam and he's following this thing. That looks and...
1: like a coyote with mange to me. No, it's... That, that snout yeah, it's turned, long, but and... that's <laughs> the, But that doesn't sound anything like the alien that this woman saw in Puerto Rico. Anyway, we've already covered all of this we've in the Tom Lake that... episode. Uh, yeah, uh, Please look that
4: up. I'll have to yes, look that it up because yeah. I'm yeah.
2: fascinated by. It. I didn't realize that that the chupacabra was such a recent.
4: Well, what I'm telling you, Jay, is that that wasn't a raccoon with mange, but
2: <laughs> that was an
4: actual chupacabra. Yeah. And I think it. Oh uh, yeah. And so more yeah, one of our more think...
1: famously off the rails episodes. You can go listen to that <laughs> one. That's a good one. <laughs> Yeah, let it
4: be known. There's a Warner Brothers lot chupacabra. I love that. I think that is so amazing. And now that you've brought that to the world's attention, it's everybody... just
1: a very depressing record.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jay, uh, you said you're a skeptic, but growing up, did you ever did you have any imagination for this type of thing for ghosts or Bigfoot or aliens?
2: I'm a I'm a UFO guy.
1: Are you? Yeah. Oh, great! Yeah. You're if in the right place. Well, good I mean, I'm not an
2: avid that, but you know. Everybody sort of has something that's sort of, either fringe or paranormal that they they believe and they may not even admit it, and they may intellectually not believe in it. But I've always been uh, frightened down to a cellular level mm. of UFOs. Well, yeah, and you I can know, relate. I, I can talk about it and just and the hairs on the back of my neck. So, I where do you s- think that comes from? Yeah,
4: have you ever seen one or have you ever experienced something? You anomalous gotta like go that? get
1: regressed.
4: Yeah.
2: You know I, that I—I'm not saying that there's missing time in my childhood, but, but there was missing time. You're <laughs> that not saying there's time. not. You're in the right place, <laughs> right? But no, it's—it's it's the kind of thing that I, you know, and I've never been—I've uh, always been aware of Bigfoot as much as just anybody would. I've never right. really, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that um, I get a little deeper into it, just because I'm researching this story, and so part of it is researching. Uh, the Bigfoot stuff, and, and, I heard, and the relations with UFOs and the portals and all that oh stuff. Oh yeah, it's, now you're it's, singing
1: it's, Bryce Johnson.
4: Singing Bryce's uh-huh. tune.
2: Do now I, I heard, believe it? No, but do I completely discount it? Not necessarily. When well, well, I go. heard
4: you mention the uh, the famed Patterson-Gimlin footage right. of 1967, what do you make of that?
2: It's hard to, it's hard to completely discount. Mm-hmm. And I know. Um I think there was a, a, a period someone did come out and debunk it and someone claimed that they but that guy well there was they three, debunked the debunkers, right? Yeah,
4: there was three people who have claimed to have been right the person in the suit. And so that immediately tells you right away that they can't all be telling well, you. Well, Jay, exactly. you
1: work as a producer in Hollywood. Right. You know you have you can you kind of can wrap your mind around budgets and
4: costumes. You could
2: Yeah, the money it would take to fake that would be, there we go. you know, those, Astronomical. Two guys those two guys didn't have the wherewithal to fake it. That's, yeah.
4: that's so,
1: the answer I was looking for,
2: I, yeah. you know.
4: Well, you know, it's funny enough, we we had just filmed something uh, in and amongst ourselves here at the BCC Clubhouse, sort of a secret project, and mm-hmm. and not to give too much away, but We're we had,
1: hoaxing, we're hoaxing, we're in hoaxing <laughs> videos now. We, we
4: had our producer, Riley, uh, and what, what I would consider one of the probably more top-level Bigfoot suits that uh, a special effects person can get.
3: It was pretty real deal, yeah. It was
4: the real deal thing, and Riley got in that suit, and immediately I start to zone in on, like, the legs and how they're more of a boot-cut straight pants. You can't see muscle tone. Well, this is a
2: 2019 suit. Yeah, this we're talking isn't
4: 2020. Right. This is almost 60 years after the date that that and was Patterson taken. And
2: the Patterson-Gimlin, I mean, those are some massive legs. Yeah. Not only
4: that, you look at the back on that creature, and, and all you have to do is Compare that side by side to a silverback gorilla, right. the back, the picture of a back of a silverback, and you see that that hairline that is spread in that in that in that spinal Bryce, We column. all know
3: where you're looking. Um. Yeah, I, let us let I us guess, not forget. Yeah, we know, know on where on you're looking. And
4: that, butt those, oh, the pendulous breasts. Well, <laughs> let me not even get into that. But I guess what I was saying it was I was immediately making comparisons uh, as takes to bait every time. And Riley isn't a short guy; he's about six foot five, seven, you know, right. seven. And yes, yeah, six, six foot, foot seven. seven. And even and he's nearly covered suit, in hair
2: already
3: oh, so, yeah, you know. true. Yeah, yeah it's
4: true but even him in that suit he looked he didn't look tall and ominous he was like i mean you did but i was immediately making comparisons to that famed footage and and it was to me still it was a night and day comparison it was a and guy in a suit it was a sure. guy in a suit right. you yeah. know and i could he easily defy that and that one piece of footage has set me on a on on a quest, I yeah. suppose, because I believe, I really believed my eyes and my senses that that was telling me that there something was captured on film that day that couldn't be explained, that so many other people have claimed to have seen, that physical proof has identified right. through castaway tracks and DNA evidence and... And uh, yeah, so I th- I still think that no, that's I, a, I, I, yeah, a stellar I, I, piece of footage. I can
2: easily be talked into going, you know, as right now, I'm ready to go, okay, I 100% Great. Great. There I'm we go. To- <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, then the, the, the skeptics will talk about what we've never really, you know, f- we don't have one.
4: It's true. And I, I do— Science wants a body.
2: I do adhere to the theory, and part of it is, you know, I'm uh, doing a little bit of crime research and being a kind of a fan of true crime and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Anyone that knows that the most unreliable thing, the most unreliable evidence you can have, is eyewitness evidence.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: on the scale of what's the most reliable, you know, yeah, eyewitness accounts are always what the first thing you can discount.
4: It's very true.
2: Now, the Gimlin film—that's a little, you know, that's hard to discount. Yeah, I mean, even today, if you were going to fake it, you'd have to CGI it. Yeah, yeah, and then. They know forensically how to tell if something's CGI or not. That's correct. And
1: so many videos up on YouTube that are like, I caught a Wendigo on It's so clearly CGI'd or fake. You know, there's so much stuff out there that, like, you could argue that the stuff that people are putting out today on YouTube as hoaxes look so much worse and are instantly recognizable as, as bunk uh, compared to the right. Patterson Gimlin film, which, I you know, I think is one of. And, and a lot of the other, um, like, you know, the old Loch Ness photos almost Every one of those has been debunked now as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. And yet, that the Patterson Gimlin still seems to stubbornly hang in there for, I think, reasons that you pointed out, Bryce. Uh, Jay, you said you had, before we get into this, you had another Bigfoot story involving uh, a, was there an Ali Sheedy Bigfoot oh. signing? Oh,
2: yes. <laughs> Ali <laughs> Sheedy. That's the name of the movie. I wonder if she's a listener.
4: Uh, <laughs> I, I she can might guarantee you she not. I, I
2: emailed her. Uh, <laughs> here's what, in my. Internet research, yeah. you know, you just—I just was googling Bigfoot and Sierra National Forest, which is where this story we'll talk about takes place, right between Yosemite and Sequoia, that whole And in 1985, I. F- Find on the internet, Ali Sheedy spotted uh, had a Bigfoot sighting near Shaver Lake, which is really yeah. what Shaver yeah. Lake. That's
3: you where I yeah, yeah, that's like oh, pretty it's much where I grew up.
2: Yeah, because I used to go there as a kid. We used to go skiing at China Peak. Sure, yeah, yeah me too. China Peak. Yeah, right? yeah, so I, you know, but and there's been a few Bigfoot sightings in in I Shaver. I Ali heard. Sheedy is not the only one. Wow. But I emailed her and asked her if she would, told her what I was doing, and you know, I, I said, if, look, if I'm going to write about, um. Bigfoot uh, and and Teresa Beer and Skip Welch uh, in 1987 literally as the crow flies 30 miles away I'm going to have to mention that Ali Sheedy saw Bigfoot (laughs) right yeah (laughs) And That's so what a did she level say? Did of she not, oh, she, well she didn't answer my email. Go figure. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't even know if it's a correct email address.
1: Uh, well, now out. now we know our <laughs> chances of getting Ali Shitty on this show to tell that story right. are probably pretty minimal They can't but, delete uh, fast
3: enough.
4: <laughs> big, oh, did you oh, delete, delete delete
1: delete. <laughs> we got to go to Shaver Lake and do yeah, an man,
2: episode. Yeah. I we think, gotta think gotta. there's a, I think there is a um a mural up there. That there has is, yeah, is. They there, put it up a
3: few years back. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've had. We great... have it on our Instagram. Oh, yeah, it's on too. our Instagram, because yeah. Fresno,
2: Fresno area is literally. I, I have come to learn is a hotbed of Bigfoot activity. Yeah. there were yeah, sightings yeah. as far down as the Kings River that near Avocado Lake. I guess these ranchers saw three Bigfoot in the orchard. I think you know mm-hmm. I mean, they were stealing oranges or something. But yeah, yeah. So I there's just, a lot of uh, Bigfoot activity worldwide.
4: Over, I think I, we live in a yeah. state that has more sightings. Per capita, than any other place in the world. Right? I mean, there, it, it there seems, seems to be... be
1: a connection too between orchards and and Sasquatch. Yeah, uh, that's right. When I was in, I believe at the town is Felton, is it California? Felton, California. There's a little Bigfoot uh, research center up there. And years ago, I was on a road trip, stopped in, and spoke to the curator of the museum, and he had uh, night vision footage of what they believed had been a juvenile. Um, mm. Sasquatch that they had been catching. Uh, stealing apples from an orchard that was uh, just a few miles up the road. Mm. Um, they notoriously
2: and, are fond of apples. Yeah, there's yeah. a
1: story that I came across that I think maybe we'll do at some point, whether on the Patreon or here, about the Apple Devils uh, that was in, I believe, West Virginia in the 1960s. It was around that area. John Keel studied it, and it was about um, something uh, a group of possible hairy creatures had been coming into an orchard and stealing, taking. Bites out and leaving the leaving the apples on the ground, but uh, I always find that sort of adorable that the (laughs) the Bigfoot likes uh, likes his orchards. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, I think we should get into the story sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, Since we're all chomping at the bit, before that, we've got to play our game, bullshit or believe it. Let's do it. Okay, and we're back with Jay O'Connell, producer and true crime researcher and now default Bigfoot researcher. (laughs) We're about to get into the story of High Strangeness of the Week, but first we must ask this skeptic whether he finds these topics bullshit or whether he believes them with a game we like to call Bullshit or Believe It. Are you ready, Jay? So I only
2: have two choices. Two choices. Bullshit or Or Believe believe It. it. Yep. But, But I can... If it's somewhere in between, use your acting skills to convey,
1: and we can always circle back and talk about anything you want. Okay. All right. On your mark. If you're on
4: the fence, just go with believe it.
1: On (laughs) your mark. That's what I do. Get set. Ghosts. Bullshit. UFOs. Believe it. Bigfoot. Believe it. All right. Ah. Angels. Bullshit. Gnomes. Bullshit. Fairies. (laughs) Bullshit Unicorns Bullshit Loch Ness Monster
2: Bullshit
1: Alien Greys Believe it Parallel Universes
2: Mm. Bullshit
1: Shapeshifters Bullshit Mermaids Bullshit.
2: Uh, (laughs) But but I want to believe. I really do. Heaven. (laughs) Bullshit.
1: Hell. Bullshit. Dragons. Bullshit. Yeti.
2: Believe it. Elves. Well, I'm Irish. Uh, (laughs) Bullshit. (laughs) You just just betrayed your people. (laughs) Your heritage. (laughs) ESP. (sighs) Believe it.
1: Chupacabra. Seen it, so believe it. (laughs) Demons. (laughs) Bullshit. Atlantis. Bullshit. Life on other planets. Believe it. World peace.
2: (sighs) Believe it.
4: Peace in the multiverse
2: believe it all oh, right that's great Good. i was so, thinking michael you might have to
4: change that to warner brothers yeah. <laughs> The w- Chupa. from here on out it's, it will
2: always be because I now know. everybody will believe
4: it <laughs> it's just the warner brothers frog oh my god i love that game it's so it's such a fascinating insight into uh into people's belief system i I, yeah, often... I think
2: i think the religious listeners will kind of get a clue as to where i f- land on that oh lore.
4: yeah for right. sure oh yeah. you're not the only one yeah. and i often think that if this game were played in europe that the the gnomes and the fairies would 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 be, oh. It hit a lot harder. Ho- it higher, hit a lot yeah. higher. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's anyway. true. Well, do any of your guests ever go with Believe on Gnomes we and Fairies?
3: We have, have, have yeah. A mister. Oh, right. Really?
1: <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think you're a 15 for 15 on this one. <laughs> yeah. um, and we've definitely had, we definitely have some very open-minded guests. Most of them are actors. Um, there you go. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So it sounds like you're coming around on Bigfoot, and I'm really excited. I have not heard this story. Well, because uh, I have a
2: bigfoot yeah, t- yeah. t-shirt which obviously you... the listeners can't see but no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll get a picture we'll that. get a photo of that and Not it'll only be is up it on bigfoot, instagram but it's bigfoot in sequoia there you go oh yeah that's which the is, which is my stuff.
1: hometown i love it okay we're going to take another quick break when we come back it's time for this week's story of high strangeness awesome All right, we're back, and it's time for highest strangeness. And this is a Bigfoot Collectors Club, I believe. First, where our guest today is uniquely connected to this story. Yeah. So, uh, Bryce, what do you have for us today? Thank or should you. I Mike. say we- Bryce and Jay.
4: Mm, yes, yes, absolutely. And as Michael said, we we're kind of taking a uh, a left turn here from our normal procedures, and 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 I think we won't be remiss after we discuss this uh, story that involves a little bit of true crime as well as it does um, high strangeness. Now, I want to preface this story by stating emphatically that I am no way abdicating the innocence of those accused in this story of high strangeness. I am merely trying to elucidate the listener with some of the more stranger details of this case that I believe are being heard right here for the very first time. Now, that being said, Is something evil and unknown lurking in the deep woods of our national parks? Who, or better yet, what, is behind the plethora of mysterious disappearances? One person may have an answer as to what might have caused literally thousands of people to vanish without a trace while visiting the National Forest in the United States and Canada. The answer he alludes to is very unsettling and shocking to say the least. A man by the name of David Politis is a retired police officer who has written a series of books called Missing 411. In those, he gives a comprehensive picture of a number of unusual cases of missing persons which baffle relatives and authorities alike. Many people who read them call them the most disturbing books they have ever read. Politis has been investigating the mystery of people who vanished for many years and has created a vast database on the subject. The results of his research are frightening. It all started many years ago while he was conducting research in a national park and received a knock at the door from two off-duty national park rangers who stated they had information they wanted him to hear. They explained that they had worked at several parks during their career and had participated in many search and rescues of lost visitors. They explained that they believed there was an inordinate amount of missing people, and the Park Service was not conducting follow-up investigations, wasn't tracking missing people, and didn't appear to understand the issues behind the disappearances. This event started his project, Missing 411. And while Politis does not present his theory as to what is behind the sinister vanishings, there has been no lack of speculations that involve everything from Bigfoot, aliens, and supernatural forces responsible for the disappearances. The truth is that we don't know what is behind the vanishings, says Politis, yet we can easily understand that something elusive and predatory is lurking in our forests and national parks. People are vanishing without a trace and something or someone is responsible for their disappearances. Sasquatch lore is rife with tales of abductions. Native American tribes from one end of the North American continent to the other have told tales for centuries of how these hair-covered giants, if given the chance, would snatch up women and or children. Prospector Albert Osman claims to have been snatched up while dozing in his sleeping bag in the wilds of British Columbia in 1924 by a male Sasquatch and kept as a captive for six days by a family of these creatures, before managing to escape. For more on that, please listen to BCC episode six, The Wizard of Canterbury. And while maybe not as well known as Osman's story, is the account of a Nootka Indian named Muchalat Harry, who claimed to have been grabbed by a large male Sasquatch and carried off to be presented to a large number of these animals in 1928. But, but, but Bryce, you say, these alleged <laughs> incidences took place a very long time ago. Nothing like that happens today, right? I don't know. You tell me. On June 1, 1987, Fresno native Teresa Ann Beer, then 16 years old, traveled into the rugged Sierra Nevada mountains of California with then 43 year old Russell Welch. Welch fancied himself a Bigfoot expert and was taking the teen out on a hunt for the legendary beast in the vicinity of Shut Peak. Welch claimed to have had contact with Sasquatches in the past and wanted to share his experiences with the teenaged Beer. What happened after the pair arrived is not known. All that is known is that Russell Welch returned to Fresno without Teresa and Beer. Welch was interrogated by sheriff's deputies once it became clear Beer was missing. He claimed that they, had gone, that they had gone out on a hike in the hopes of making contact with a Sasquatch. He went on to say that somehow he became separated from Beer, and that during this time, she was abducted by one of the creatures. To say authorities doubted his story would be an understatement. A search of the area where the two had camped was immediately ordered, but failed to turn up anything. Despite the continued efforts of dedicated searchers, no sign of Teresa Ann Beer was found, not a single trace of evidence. Russell Welch was later charged with child stealing and was scheduled to stand trial. However... Officials abruptly dropped the charges and freed him just three days before the court proceedings were to begin. Officials realized they had no physical evidence upon which to build a case, and were afraid they were destined to lose a jury trial. If that were to happen, Russell Welch would go free and not be subject to future prosecution. Even if Beer's remains were later located, due to laws against double jeopardy, the district attorney decided it would be best to let Welch walk at the time, and hope physical evidence would be found sometime in the future I am
1: furious
4: (laughs) (laughs) with which a stronger case would be built no such evidence would come however absolutely no sign of Teresa Ann Beer has been found in the nearly 25 years that have passed since the incident she has simply vanished recently I caught up with a buddy of mine Jay O'Connell who is working on a documentary about the alleged kidnapping and murder of Teresa Ann Beer by the late Russell Skip Welch so, Jay, how did you get involved with this case, and what can you tell us about it? You
2: know, how I came to this was actually through, through Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And sort of the central irony of this story is, and, and now that I've really gotten to, I won't say got to know Teresa, but uh, have sort of been researching her, the central irony of this story is the thing that keeps her memory alive because we would we wouldn't be talking about her today uh, her story would be completely um, gone from from cultural memory the thing that keeps her alive her memory alive is the thing that was ostensibly blamed for her disappearance mm-hmm. that being Bigfoot so in an ironic sort of twist it's Bigfoot that keeps her memory alive but I came to it simply I was actually listening to another Bigfoot podcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Laura Krantz's, uh Wild Thing. Mm, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's more of a more of a mainstream sort of almost scientific look at it. She was actually she actually found out when we're she were scientists. Yeah, you <laughs> well, I'm speak fine. for
3: yourself. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, let me say, so I think she she comes to it from a skeptical point of view, but I sure. think she makes the turn, much like I have now. Um, but her her. Uncle or great uncle was Grover Krantz. Oh my God! Yeah, and she didn't know that until she started researching this. Finds Whoa. out Whoa. who's that she, Grover
1: Krantz? Why does that name
4: ring a bell? Grover Krantz was a uh, he was a college professor, right? A, anthropology anthropology professors. professor. And you know, funny enough, that you mentioned that cast that was given to me by Cliff Barrickman is part of what's known as the crippled foot cast, which was taken out of Washington State in the late '60s. <laughs> now, when Grover came upon this trackway the left foot of this trackway had broken foot anatomy. Now that's something I can relate to but anyway he found it oh so my God. well he found it so I just love your delivery of it and thank you. now that's something I do you
1: suffer
2: from plantar fasciitis? <laughs> no but I, had, I did shatter my heel last okay. year uh,
4: but anyway he found that that trackway was so obtruse in its nature and being so accurately biomechanically for the broken foot as it walked oh, through right. that castway that he would said it would be next to impossible to have hoaxed a trackway like that right. and that was the track way that actually got grover Krantz interested and started in his bio and his bigfoot and our
1: cast comes from that trackway that's exactly right that is the
4: right foot not the the, not the actual broken foot but it's it's from the illustrious uh crippled foot trackway which foot did
2: you break uh i broke my right
4: foot oh you did yeah but But anyway that's
2: so i started just doing a little bit of research just out of curiosity just i I, I must confess, I didn't have a show this year, so I had a lot of free time.
4: <laughs> Been there. <laughs> right?
2: And um, Still there.
4: <laughs> Still there.
2: Started Googling Bigfoot and the area that I come from, which is near Sequoia National Park mm-hmm. in more central California, and came across this story. And I came across a story about Shuteye Peak. Wow. It was written by this park ranger, and it deals with some later disappearances, a couple hikers in the early 2000s, older gentlemen, a couple, three years apart, Disappeared without a trace. Yeah. Experienced hikers and clear weather, and they never found anything. And then also the, the the son of a park ranger who worked in the lookout fire lookout tower on top of Shuteye Peak. And I fell in love with that name, Shuteye Peak. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a great name! So I I started doing a little research in that. And then there's the fourth case, this disappearance of Teresa Beer, in 1987, and. I said, "Wow, this is going to be a great story." If I do a thing called the Mysteries of Shud-Eye Peak, so as you you read the great intro of this this story, it kind of seems like a simple story of you know most of the uh, articles you'll find on the internet talk about how he took this 16 year old girl up to the the mountain center and says, Well, why would the parents allow him? And they say, "Well, the parents gave permission." To all this, right? And but what you don't find out in most of the things is what kind of guy skip welch was mm-hmm. what kind you know what what teresa's family life was like yeah and as i dug more and more into it I, I quite honestly didn't see it so much of a as a bigfoot story as i did as a crime story and changed the title of my series or my uh, documentary or my newspaper anthology from mysteries of shut eye to meth murder and bigfoot mm-hmm. and so i started approaching it as a uh uh a murder story.
1: Well, because the thing, the big red flag going off for me on this is this guy was how
2: old at the time? 42, 43 what, by the time he stood trial. Or, what
1: 42-year-old man hangs out with a 16-year-old girl that's not his daughter?
2: Well, <laughs> or, let me tell you he, this. That's not the first 16-year-old girl he hung well, out and with. That's, and not the first one he took to those mountains. And that's where I am,
1: like... Yeah. That's that that uh, This is this. That's a huge problem. Well, it is.
2: So let me tell you the story now of what I've sort of uncovered through my first foray into crime journalism. So to tell this story, I think you need to look at these two families: the Welch family and the Beers family. And um, Teresa Beers, at the time, this was this all took place in Fresno in eighty seven, and Teresa had been in and out of foster care. Um, she'd lived for several years with a with a foster family in Madeira, which is not too far from fresno riley knows and uh
3: my grandma lives there
2: yeah (laughs) and her parents were both out of the state by this time or i think her dad was in uh, albuquerque and i don't know where her mom was living with a foster care and then uh her dad lobbied to get get custody back again and then so he got her back uh with him but then he sort of Became uninterested in taking care of her. She ended up living with a great with her great grandmother for a while.
1: Oh, poor thing! Mm-hmm. And her
2: grandmother was just great grandmother was too old to take care of her. Then she so she finally ends up living uh, with her uncle, and her uncle's name was John Richmond, <clears throat> and he was known to uh, law enforcement as Blind Johnny, and Blind Johnny was a known uh, drug dealer and fence. And so she was living with him, and he had a couple other daughters, and. Um, I don't know. I, I, I sent uh, Bryce a couple of the police reports. You but did. There are certain sections that are redacted in those police reports. I
4: saw that. I was wondering
2: what that was. Um, well, because she's a minor, there are certain things they can't release. I see. Uh, and I've actually kind of looked at the, the amount of space that's redacted. She was being abused or sexually molested by um, by blind johnny by mm. her
1: uncle. And that's the stuff that they would keep. Uh, yeah, they would because keep Because she's a minor, they can't report yeah. that. They can't report who the victim is, so they can't release that information. Right. right. So I was that even makes, that I was even sense. a little
2: surprised Fresno released the uh, the police reports to me. Oh. Cuz I've been fighting with Madera County Sheriffs to release their reports as well and they won't because of the because right. she was A she was a minor and B the case is technically still, still open. Open. Oh, wow. this poor thing. But anyway, so she so sad. and she had told some of her friends at school that she was being molested. Um, so she was not in in a good family situation. Um, so that's the Bear family. Um, the Welch family, uh, Skip was a house painter. Um, and I, I actually just got his death certificate a while back. Oh, wow. And I found out from that he only went through 11th grade. And so he, he dropped out of high school, was a, was a house painter. And he had gotten into mining, um, uh, as a teenager, young, young man. And so he had mining claims up in the Sierras and he was well known for really being sort of a mountain man, sort of thought of himself as a survivalist type had several mining claims up there and spent a lot of time up in the mountains. Uh, and he was, his wife died in 1985 and I don't know what she died of, but, uh, I've seen comments by Chandra, uh, the daughter of Skip and his wife, mm-hmm. that she had made a mention of, she had uh, performed CPA, CPR on her mom a couple times when she OD'd on pills. Wow! So I think the mom was was an addict, and she died uh, in 1985.
1: This is Skip's wife. Skip's
2: wife. So so Skip was a, a widower, and he was w- well known as being a meth addict. I wow. mean, he was uh, had been for a, a while. Um, so. This whole story sort of opens, if you want to look at the timeline, that Monday morning, June 1st, 1987, um, when Blind Johnny wakes up, skips there at his house Mm -hmm. in the morning. So you figure, what's he doing at the house at seven in the morning? He was probably cranking all night. Yeah. And we think that that Blind Johnny was one of his connections. I think he was buying drugs from, from Blind Johnny. And he offers to take Teresa to school. Okay. So, um, but he never takes her to school. So Blind Johnny gets a call about 10 10 that morning from the school. The school says, hey, uh, Teresa never showed up at school. And what does Blind Johnny tell the school? Oh, she's homesick. Mm. Right. Because he didn't want want to deal with it. He goes, I'll figure out where she is. Right. He didn't seem too worried at that point in time. And so he starts asking around, I guess, and finds out now they both both Blind Johnny and Skip claimed that they didn't really know each other that well, that they had just met like a week before, which uh I think is not necessarily the case.
1: Mm. And if you're a sketchy drug dealer, you're, you're trying to keep all this you're stuff. Trying on. to keep yeah, on the down I level. just I have to say it's just uh, the lack of judgment that's rampant throughout this tale already. It's oh, just it gets depressing.
2: Yeah. yeah. So um he calls around so he literally by I think nine o'clock that night he calls the fresno police and reports her missing because he can't find her uh and then that's that starts the investigation and it's not for i think 10 days later that they finally find skip welch and arrest him so um a good deal of time has passed
1: so teresa has been missing for 10 days at this point
2: yeah before well before he gets before, back and they they, okay. they arrest him. So what he really do, what he does is, um, we know from the detective uh, backtracking several days later. Now finding out what when ha- what happened, she admitted to people that yeah I'm going to the mountains. Uh, she even Skip even went by his daughter's house and. Yeah. And then he goes by his son's house, and they even told detectives later, he says, yeah, he, she was with him. She was all excited to go up and hunt Bigfoot up in the mountains.
1: Instead of go to school that Instead day. Instead of go to school, yeah. Okay.
2: Um, so they take off. They go up to the mountains. Um, what happens up there, we don't really know. Because if we were to to base on what Skip Welch later tells the detective...
4: Which I cannot wait to get you, into. Yes,
2: it's... it's yeah. But... Um, He uh, he has quite a story to tell, but it's much much later. Um, What does he tell immediately? What
1: does he immediately tell detectives when they're? Let's get when he's been arrested or
4: now, Jay. I know you provided me with a couple of police reports, and I hope that it's okay that I that I read directly from these because I I, think so. This has never come to light, and and not only is it. Is it disturbing uh, just around the context of, of somebody going missing and never being found again? What I what I defined sort of interesting isn't the right word, but disturbingly interesting is this guy's account of mm. what played out. And when you start to parcel it along with a lot of the other you know missing 411 cases that I've been listening to all weekend, which are in and of themselves so creepy and so disturbing that can like 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 I said earlier, I mean, it just leaves you baffled as to who mm-hmm. or what is causing this anyway, so I'm gonna read directly from some of these men men
1: are mm, men are causing it yeah bad, Math, well, yeah. bad. And, and, you, know, men. you may
4: you may very well be right, Michael, but uh, just the numbers alone <laughs> don't uh, the numbers alone of the people gone vanishing missing and the details surrounding those cases leave leave that out as an option uh, I'm not saying that that's the case for this. Now, when Officer, um, I don't know if it's okay if I say his name, the detective on the case, Doug um, Stokes. Doug Stokes. Yeah, let's. This is right from the police report. He was a nice guy, by the way. Yeah. So he first, uh, Terry Welch starts to tell him his story. And then uh, as he reports, I told him, this is from uh, uh, Detective Stokes, I told him that I wanted to talk to him in regards to the missing person, Teresa Beer. He immediately told me that he knew what I was talking about, but there had been a big misunderstanding. He then told me that he liked to refer to her as Sam because she reminded him of a runaway girl that he had viewed in a movie at one time, and so her nickname was Sam, and he would refer to her as that. I noted that throughout my discussion with him that he did in fact refer to her as Sam. Now, prior to my asking any questions regarding the whereabouts of the missing person, I made reference to the fact that several people had told me that he, Welch, was interested in the sightings of Bigfoot. For the next 5 to 7 minutes, the suspect Welch spoke exclusively of his sightings of Bigfoot and his experiences in the backcountry and the High Sierras. He talked on and on regarding the facts that he had seen literally hundreds of sightings of Bigfoot and that there was a community of Saskatchewans, as he referred to them.
1: Well, time out. Yeah. Is he confusing them with Canadians? Uh, (laughs) I know, right,
4: right. Living in the High Sierras, numbering several hundreds to thousands. He further told me that the reason that people had not seen this individual more was because he was actually of a superior intelligence. Okay. And that he had a whole community of Bigfoots that lived under the ground in caves and in tunneled out communities.
1: Right. Did did the detective mean Sasquatchians? Yes. He must have meant
4: Sasquatch. Either
1: that's... Or did... You know, skip call them Saskatchewan. You'll have
4: to. I'll have to leave that up to the listener. Or did,
2: or did Bryce mispronounce it?
4: Yeah, no. In the report, it's Saskatchewan. <laughs> all of these <laughs> are possible. I, right? Exactly. Any one of those could be. But you know, what's interesting is, is as soon as I heard underground in caves and in tunneled out communities, uh, Richard Shaver popped up and 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 his stories of long tunneled out communities of. Of these strange beings Anyway, I'll go on Well, and Skip could have had
1: access to stuff that Richard Shaver talked about, correct? Where's Richard yeah, Shaver in all this timeline? Absolutely. Let's, if he was into this stuff like we are He may have already heard it, yeah, these absolutely. stories It's his very books. possible,
4: absolutely um, Anyway, uh, okay, here, uh, where are we? Saskatchewan Yes, yes I noted that during my discussion with Welch He appeared very serious in his talking about this And that he did not take the subject lightly He referred to several photographs that he had he further stated that he had established a strong relationship with this community of Big Feet that lived in the Sierras, and that he had not violated them, and that therefore they made themselves readily available to him, seeing them and that he had communicated with them. I asked him if they spoke English, and he stated, they spoke another language, and that he only knew a few of their words, but they seemed to understand him with no difficulty. He further stated that these Big Feet were able to somehow read his mind at times. Now, after our discussion of Big Feet and the communities (laughs) that exist in the Sierras extensively, I then asked him if he could tell me about Teresa Beer. Now, this is where Terry starts to go on and... Skip, you mean, you say... uh, uh, Yes, yes. Uh, This is where Skip goes on to tell his sort of first lie in this questioning. Um, He talks about how he just dropped her off at school and that was it. But he mentions something interesting. He says he stated that he dropped her off at the school and that she was met by a blonde hair girl and that sam had told him that this was a friend of hers and that sam she,
1: being teresa we sam have to being remind teresa, our listeners we'll
4: have to remind yourself of that yes and that sam had told him that this was a friend of hers and that she was sure that this girl would help her hide out now keep this blonde girl in mind as she's gonna appear later oh yeah she story. will play
2: a very key role
4: and then this is why I'm glad I'm going over this. Is So many people love to leave out the details that, that I would say don't make sense or startle or say too weird to be reported. Now, he goes on to say more about uh, that he gets caught in a lie, right? The detective says, listen, I know your car was up there. Uh, so mm-hmm. I don't, and, he, and, and then to which Skip says he was going to tell him the complete truth. Now, once in the High Sierras, he states that he had some car trouble and that if he just asks a ranger, he can help verify a story that he was alone and that this fire crew helped him jumpstart his car, blah, blah, blah. To which Detective Stokes says, I told Welch that I did not believe his story and explained that I had talked to both of his children regarding their contact with the missing person, Sam. I explained that both of his children were very helpful. And that they explained that Sam did not appear to be hurt, but that she was very excited and talked continually about wanting to go to the High Sierras and possibly of seeing Bigfoot. And Terry says he was sorry that he lied to me and that he would tell him the complete truth now. This is the second time he's going to keep calling him Terry. "Uh, Oh, oh, right. Sorry. He's uh, he was sorry that he had lied to me and he was going to tell the complete truth. Now, this is the second time where he's like, I'm going to tell you the truth. He then goes on to describe some car trouble that he was having with his car. He then continued by stating that once in the backcountry that he did in fact see Bigfoot, and in fact the girl Sam made several sightings herself. He then became very serious and stated that he knew that they had gotten into something they shouldn't have gotten into. I asked him to explain. He then told me that prior to going to the mountains that he had purchased a camera for Sam. He stated that it was a small, instamatic Kodak. He stated that she was taking several pictures. I asked him if he was trying to tell me that this upset Bigfoot in some way. He stated that he did not believe... I just,
1: this detective who is just trying to get to her whereabouts, yeah. patiently sitting through this guy's yeah. endless yeah. Yeah. Bigfoot story. Yeah.
2: yeah, he'll get there. He gets to a point of like... And just, can I tell you about the, the having sat and talked to the detective for two hours yeah. a, a couple months ago? He's a very big sort of, you know, uh, hulking man, but it's a very kind, gentle kind of guy. He's, a, he comes to his, he's a, a Mormon, so I went to his house and he's got, you know, a picture of him and all his kids, like, you know, six kids and just a real straight-laced, just nice family. And he would tell me that when Skip would start going off on all this Bigfoot stuff that he'd sort of just get this, almost this look in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And that he always wanted to talk to him. He kept wanting to keep talking and talking and talking.
4: Yeah. I and mean, he and sa-
2: th- Detective Stokes would say, okay. And he just sit and listen to him.
4: Yeah. And he says, in the, he says yeah. in the police report, too, that that he shows no signs of, like, believe that he was putting him on. Right. Or that he was joking about what he was saying about these Bigfoot. He truly believed Dead in serious. what he was saying. Dead serious. Um So basically, I asked him if he was trying to tell me that this had upset Bigfoot taking pictures in some ways. He stated he did not believe so because he had taken several pictures himself and that they knew he would never divulge their whereabouts or their actual existence. He tried to convince me that he had a special relationship with the Bigfoot people and that they were not out to physically hurt him or the girl. He then made several statements about seeing certain things that he had never seen before and he referred to certain communities being much larger and more extensive than he had ever seen before that he and the girl had come upon. He continued by stating that this had impressed Sam very much and that she had talked continually about not wanting to leave from the back country and that she wanted to stay and make more sightings and possibly spend the whole summer in the High Sierras with Bigfoot. He then stated that, Late in the afternoon on either Wednesday or Thursday, he had told Sam that they were going to leave the next morning to go out back down into the valley from the High Sierras. She became upset with him and told him that she did not want to leave the area. He then stated that he was uh, in an area that had very flat meadow with a small stream in it and that he was having difficulty with his car. He had walked over to the stream and was washing off from all of the dirt that he had from trying to dig his car out of the rut. He looked up, and when he did, he saw Sam talking to a blonde girl, who appeared to be approximately the same age as she was. Welch then stated that the missing person Sam and the blonde girl ran off through the trees. When he called to them, he started to try to follow them, but they they were able to lose him through the trees, and this upset him very much. He then stated that he looked for her until it became dark and that he had spent the night in the vehicle at the location. The next morning, he left a campfire burning with food at the camp, and he drove out of the camp area. He then stated that it was rather strange to him that he was unable to locate where the blonde girl had come from. He stated there were always campers in the, hikers in the area, and that he assumed that somehow she'd been able to evade him. He then added that he also found it strange because he didn't observe any campfires. Now... This is where Detective Stokes says, I understand you're a mountain man most of your life, and that you've spent your whole life in the mountains backpacking and searching for gold and other minerals. Which uh Skip said, yeah, that's right. I then told him that I thought he was a person of great knowledge of the mountains, and that I found it somewhat unbelievable that two young girls could evade him when he had so much knowledge of the mountains. To this he responded, Okay, all the truth bigger than life. I asked him what he was referring to. He then stated that he wanted to tell me all of the truth and that it would be bigger than life and that he knew that I would not believe him or anyone else. He then continued by stating that he wanted me to know that there was a super intelligent being that was living in the High Sierras along with Bigfoot and that Bigfoot was actually the bodyguard for this super intelligent community of people. He continued by stating that he was aware that these people existed, but that he'd only made one or two sightings prior to this occasion, that he was in the mountains with Sam. He stated that where Bigfoot was hairy-bodied and approximately ten to eleven feet tall, that these superintelligent beings looked much more human and they were of superior intelligence. He then continued by stating that the missing person, Teresa Beer, had in fact run off with one of these super intelligent beings and that she was someone who appeared to be a female with blonde hair approximately the same age and same size as Teresa. I noted that during all of this conversation that Welch looked at me continually straight in the eye and made no emotional or movements or indications that would seem to indicate that he believed that he was playing a joke or relaying information to me that he did not in some way to believe to be true. He seemed to be extremely serious in his approach to this explanation. He also then stated that these individuals would not hurt Sam, and he stated that he knew that he would never see her again, though. He stated that this whole community lived underground and that they seldom came out, but that they had such a beautiful society. And once Sam was in the society, that she would not want to come back.
1: I'm standing on the other side of the mirror In that that two-way mirror right now, just being like, get this fucking guy behind
4: (laughs) bars right now. Yeah, but I want to get to more of at least what he believes happened. Sure, 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 sure. Through further discussion, which mentioned several times about his mind being messed with somewhat by Bigfoot and Mm -hmm. the mind games that they were playing on him in regards to this incident, I asked him to explain. He then explained that he did in fact search for Sam all that first day that she was gone and was unable to find her. As he was preparing to drive through the countryside as it was getting dark, he found that his car was stuck. After trying to maneuver his car around out of the rut that it was stuck in, he looked back. He then states that he observed what appeared to be a man, but not really a man. I asked him to explain. He stated that this was a spirit of some type, of a devil, that was holding his car up off the ground. He stated that he then was able to maneuver the car and get it loose from this thing that was holding his car in place. And as he began to drive out of the mountain area, wanting to get to the Northfolk-Southfolk area, as he was driving along the dirt road, he stated that he was driving at an extremely high rate of speed. He then felt that there was something in his vehicle with him. Looking through his rear view mirror, he then observed what appeared to be the face of a man in the back seat of his vehicle. He became extremely upset and scared. He stated that he could feel that this was the devil in the back seat. He turned and physically began to strike at this thing that was in the back seat and states that he struck through this spirit and hit his knuckles several times on a wooden speaker. Welch then showed me his knuckles on his right hand, and I noted that his knuckles of the hand and also of the mid knuckles of the fingers were all scraped with small nicks and scratches as he was trying to strike through this ghost type individual that was in his back seat he stated that he was able to overcome this evil spirit by finally rebuking it in the name of Jesus Christ and after rebuking it in the name of Jesus Christ several times the spirit left his vehicle
3: crazy shit
2: so can i tell you something that it just occurred to me as you're reading that that uh, a family member told me that happened when when skip got back to fresno mm because he was living with his mom at the time in Fresno, and uh, I got this second hand from a Welch family member who will remain nameless for this purposes. Um, When he got home, the the car was just a mess. The tires were all... uh, uh, The rims were all bent, and it was all dirty, and he pulls into the house, runs, and runs into his room and hides under the covers and is screaming about demons and demons. Mm. And the mom says to uh, one of Skip's brothers, say, go grab the gun, meaning get the gun out of Skip's room so he doesn't have access to it because they were afraid. So he was... Wow. Whether it was, you know, guilt or he would really believe that demons were... And it just occurred to me that that connects to that that description of him driving down from the mountains and, you know...
4: <sighs> it's wild because...
2: Now, the thing we've got to add to this
4: mm-hmm.
2: is that he was a meth head yeah, and... Yeah, of course. Well... And to
1: me, it sounds like <laughs> honestly, what we're talking about and what the detective is witnessing is a man having a massive manic right. episode, break, schizophrenic right. of some kind, breakdown. Uh, the meth, to me, is an indication that he's been using drugs to self-medicate for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this stuff you know what I mean? This, this, that sounds the way he's talking about the eye contact and the look in his eyes. That to me screams of someone who has had undiagnosed, untreated, uh, mental health issues. And, and, uh, you know, I, that's just where I'm at in this point in the story. You make
4: an extremely valid point and, and one that needs to be observed as part of this story. Now,
2: I think, uh, Mike, I think Michael women. and I are on the camp that this is a pure crime story. Well, this without is a yeah. doubt. And yeah. I'm not
4: saying and- where I lie, but for the sake of playing devil's advocate, I just want to point to some of the no- more notes of high strangeness. Now, it's funny that I use the term devil's advocate, devil's advocate, because in David Politis' book, his fourth book called Missing 411, mm-hmm. it's titled The Devils in the Details. And this book is about the missing cases that somehow all of them, I mean, the majority of them take place in this Yosemite Valley. Right. It's the largest spot of these strange vanishings. And what he notes is that there's a strange correlation between places called Devil's Peak, Devil's Pass. And he wonders. Well, did we
2: mention where this all happens? What? Shut Eye Peak, right? Well, uh, Shut Eye Peak, but more specifically, where, where she disappeared. Was an area that Skip always called and and Ghost I felt, Canyon. Ghost Canyon, yeah. And he claims it, it was, was a, oh, ancient burial sites an in, ancient Indian burial site. ground, so I sacred was even, burial ground. Even talking to Skip's younger right. brother, who used to uh, go mining with him all the time, all over the mountains. So I finally asked Robin. I said, "So you've been to Ghost Canyon?" And then he goes, "Oh no, I haven't been there." Mm. As if, well, that's one place I ain't going.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: So. We'll talk later, but I want to end this with a with, with a... I want to go to Ghost Canyon. You guys are invited. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I just have a little bit more. Okay, let I Bryce just finish have a little up. bit
4: more. He then stated that he went back up to the mountains the next day looking for Sam. He was able to make a sighting of her as she was running through the trees with the blonde girl. He stated that he called and called to her, but that she would not come to him. Welch then stated that he was sure that Sam would live in the mountains forever and that she had created a close relationship with the super-intelligent beings and they would probably not want her to leave, although they would allow her to leave. He then made several statements about the fact that he did not believe anybody could find Sam. Oh, and so then he gets into... uh, the detective says well we're going to go up there and, and look and we w- will you be willing to take us with you and he's, he gets excited and he says yes I will go I will take you up there to the exact spot where this happened but he wanted us to know that he could not be responsible for taking us into the area he stated that there were great powers that work in this area and that he was not sure if any of us would come out of the area he then added that he had the feeling that somehow these superpowers in Bigfoot were upset with him for something he had done he made several statements regarding the fact that the truth of the legends of Bigfoot and the superintelligent individuals that live in the mountains with Bigfoot were going to be out soon to the public. And they, the superintelligent individuals and Bigfoot, would no longer be trusting him anyway. Goes on later to say, and Detective Stokes says, As I was escorting him to the jail, he made this spontaneous <laughs> statement. I hope we can find her. She is better off, though, where she has gone. I asked him where he thought that she was gone, and he stated that she was in a new spiritual understanding and that he was sure that the super-intelligent people that she was with would not hurt her, but that she would have a new understanding about life. He goes on to book him.
1: I think the thing that I really like about... about uh, how this kicked off, the story kicked off is how you say that the, the 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 memory of Teresa Beer is being kept alive. And I think, like yeah. a lot of these cases, we tend to focus on the murder, the killer, and really, it's the victims we should right. remember. And uh, kept going through my mind is just how the system just failed yeah. her from the get go. I-
2: imagine if she had been She's almost from like a doomed. upstanding, yeah. prominent Fresno family.
1: Yeah, it would have been totally different.
2: She, you would. Everybody would know who she was to this day. Yeah. Because first of all, it's crazy that that the guy literally blamed Bigfoot. Although now we know it wasn't Bigfoot who took her.
4: Right. Super intelligent being. Super intelligent being who who had manifested
2: herself as a blonde Mm -hmm. girl.
4: Yeah. And that's yeah. I, I, I'm glad that that's a new detail that it can at least come out in this in this podcast because from the research I've done, a lot of people get it wrong. You know, he you know yeah. he never claimed that he saw a Bigfoot abductor. You know, and yeah. when you get into the detail of of the psychosis of of, of, his, of this elaborate story about these super yeah. intelligent beings that are guarded by Bigfoots and that could you know shape shift into like you know. Blonde girls, and even how in the beginning he says he when he dropped her off at that school, that part of that lie was in that story there. Right. So it's it, it's all so so strange. Yeah.
2: I mean, even his daughter, even Skip's daughter, says, "Well, he never said Bigfoot take her. He said maybe she did."
4: Yeah, and we well, and we heard from her. She called into a, a crazy thing about. Uh, she called into some paranormal. Um, uh sort of show as well she had no idea existed because she had spotted, You've
2: seen a UFO <laughs> yeah this is this is
4: crazy wow. she spotted a green fiery UFO in her front yard at two thirty in the morning that that hovered down out of the sky and and sort of like just stayed there and then you know went back up into the sky her husband's like you should call this paranormal guy here in Fresno and she goes on and and the paranormal guy happens to be a bigfoot guy, and so they start talking, and he's like, "Wait, your father is uh, skip Welch And she's like, "Yeah." And then so they go on and tell wow. did you listen to the entire, the entire I did interview? twice, And yeah. uh, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of information to garner out of that. I've actually but,
2: transcribed uh, it. That's how crazy you know it's,
4: but <sighs> what was crazy is she does go on to talk about the the sacred space of that yeah. ghost canyon and and that how that if, like, perhaps he was possessed by something. I'm not saying, I'm not letting this guy off the hook in any means. I'm saying, you know, there's, there's a thread to this story that seems to be. Well,
2: I think he believed it. Yeah. Oh no, without he, a doubt, I believe be- that you know, you know, he believed f- it. I think Detective Stokes be- be- believes that he believed mm-hmm, what he was telling him. Mm-hmm. That. That's now, just not m- what happened. <laughs> is
4: this mere psychosis and schizophrenia, or is it something of a stranger nature? That
2: well, I don't we're obviously
1: know. not doctors. We can't diagnose this guy based on this. I'm just saying it has that. Yeah, it does. Well, but isn't that?
3: Yeah.
2: not that it. a bigger? I mean, that's a big question for what you guys talk about on it every every week or every. You know, all of these things. You know, there's so many people that think that all the alien well, stuff yes. is mass psychosis, and, mm-hmm. and you know. And we do mm-hmm. talk about this. And, I don't know that i buy that. No, you know, right. we we do talk about this, but it's also
1: it's a case. It's like I don't think we've had a case ever where a story of high strangeness results in the death or uh, the disappearance of a of a permanent disappearance of a of a teenage girl. No. Certainly, certainly and, never
2: been used as an alibi in a court of law.
4: Yeah.
1: No, and that and that's why this is a to me a true crime story that crosses over into the world that we're interested in. Uh, but I think it is firmly yeah. a true crime story.
4: I agree with you, Michael. Listen, Jay, I can't I can't thank you enough for for coming on to our podcast. Yeah, and, Jay, and, and we're, sharing oh, with it was us. Oh, my pleasure. It's totally my This story and bringing you know new details to light. And, yeah. and and I think I speak for all of us when you know when I when I say you know. This is definitely a left hand turn for us. I mean, we're 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 a funner podcast that likes to explore some of these interesting cases, but when it deals with with uh, you know with missing people that that have families and stuff, yeah. it takes a more serious tone and and uh, you know yeah. It's just so strange because it is part of a larger story that's tied into Native American lore and yeah. mythology. Sure.
3: Yeah. And no.
1: I'm not going to... <laughs> yeah. I'm saying I think we found... I think we can... I think we know yeah. where his the source material for his alibi comes from. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Mike. But uh, it's all fascinating. Jay, thank you so much. Yeah. Everybody, thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Awesome, man. <laughs> Hey, guys. It's the return
3: of... And we're back.
1: And we're back. For the return of (laughs) Collector's Corner. Guys, anything you have been reading, watching, listening to this week that you want to uh, share with our listeners?
4: (sighs) Well, I have been... um... I have been listening to a lot of those uh, David Politis missing 411 files. And there's a... There, listening to? Is that like, yeah, is they're, it a podcast? Well, you know, a, a lot of the phone interviews he's done with Coast to Coast and George Knapp, and uh, there's some great compilations of just the account case histories on YouTube. And, and uh, I've uh, so there's some great YouTube videos that are really just him kind of going over some of the case files. And, and they are, I mean, they are just, they're staggering and they're, and they're creepy and they're mysterious. And, uh, and I know they're easy. Sometimes it's easy to chalk up to just, you know, Hey, it's the forest. It swallows people, you know, but, uh, when when he starts to reveal some of the details about how these people, like, you know, traveling with a family, um, and you turn around, you know, who you, and, and, and the person in the last part of the train is just silently vanished, gone. And sometimes in the cases, they're never to be seen again. But in some cases, too, they end up, they bring in these trackers, these searchers, these search and rescues, and they'll go over the trail that these people were taken. And... um Sometimes in some of these cases, they'll find like, let's say if it's like a, a four-year-old toddler, like 25 miles up on some ridge. Um There's this case where these two hikers, like uh, two weeks later, see this toddler up on a ridge where they can't even, you know, they had to bring in professional hikers and climbers to go and get this Jeez. kid. Whoa. And so it's just like... So what, not,
1: are, what are what do they think it? What what are they being? Is it aliens? Is it mountain spirits? Is it
4: yeah, all of the above, something of the above, and none it, of the above. But yeah, it's something something supernatural in a sense. He doesn't want to make any. Uh, he doesn't want to allude to exactly what it is. I mean, he's you know he, the guy's written two Bigfoot books, which which were very popular, and uh, I've read some of the stuff in there, and they're they're fantastic. Uh, I think one is called Tribal Bigfoot, and then the other one is called. Um, Uh, Oh, I forget the name of it, but it doesn't matter. But, you know, he has made the in a few of the caseloads he's talked about where witnesses have described, you know, literal Bigfoots, you know, um, throwing these kids over their shoulders. And it's it's creepy. Does he
1: have like an anti-national parks agenda? this guy <laughs> honestly like is he like is there like a political agenda behind this stuff? you know he,
4: he, i don't I, I wouldn't say that but i mean is this he, stuff
1: that like s- true like uh something that he found rangers shock- read and go fuck this guy well
4: something that he found shocking for instance was the fact that when he asked uh yosemite officials if they have an actual database of missing persons that happen in the national park and to to their response they said No. Hmm. And that kind of stunned his whole team in silence. Like, you don't, you know, you don't keep track of these cases. How are people to backlog and, and, you know, research data like this? And, you know, so it's something that he thinks that these Rangers are, are aware of that, you know, a lot of these people go missing and that there's no leads and that, uh, and that there's not, you know, there's not a lot of follow up to these cases. It's, it's a mystery, you know? Yeah. Or it isn't. I don't know. Well
1: clearly it is we don't know what else <laughs> yeah going. right uh riley anything
3: i don't know I'm just thinking about the woods now man I, i've spent a lot of time in those the sierras yeah what's and, your and take on all around. that stuff man i mean the mountains are definitely dangerous mm-hmm. like i can think of times when i've been out backpacking with friends like once we encountered a bear a, a bear and her cub yeah and it was like we, we could have like very much died like yeah. it was it was close yeah and we could see it and it was right there and it it's like okay this is like a, a bear you know and another time we were hiking uh it was a backpacking trip we were trying to find this is just sort of a tangential story but whatever i'm gonna tell it uh we were trying to find this plane that had crashed in the forest in oh, the yeah. 60s yeah um just to sort of see if we could do it from like local tips and stuff and so we you know, we backpacked in I think two days in and then uh, and then we used, you know, the positioning maps and things that we'd gotten from locals to find this thing. And we actually did end up finding this plane that was a military plane that oh had crashed God, in that's the forest. Crazy. It was amazing. It was really cool. But then you know, so we're pretty far off any trails or anything, and then we're making our way back and I stepped on a beehive. Ah and
1: my bulldog did that once and it was horrible. It
3: was so scary, and you hear the sound just r- 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 coming up, and then all of a sudden, this swarm of bees, and we're just r- sprinting, you know? Wow. And it's just another one of those moments where it's like, man, it would be so easy for us to disappear out here. Right. Like, like we pe- we totally did all the things you're supposed to do. We told people where we're going. We had our routes planned. We had yeah. our, you know, returns planned, everybody, but, but still, it's just like, we were just out there, and it's like- I don't know uh, yeah things things can definitely happen very fast, I think today's in the lesson
1: is, and we've already been taught this by Leah Fisher in her episode, if a man asks you to go out <laughs> alone into the forest to hunt for bigfoot, do, do not say go, yes, do not <laughs> oh, shit go, um, yeah, uh, oh, I wanted to plug uh I'm not for my or recommend um. The Obviously, if you're listening to this show, you might be familiar with the last podcast on the left. These guys don't need a lot of promotion. They're a huge podcast, but man... They recently did a three-part series on uh, Skinwalker Ranch, which I thought was oh, so wow. good. A deep dive on it. They covered everything. There were stories in that that I had not heard really? from Corbell's uh, film, from anything that I had read, anything we'd covered in here. I mean, they covered all that and more. Uh, so I really, oh, wow. really recommend. Um, if you're into, want to learn more about that story, go check out Last Podcast on the left, mm-hmm. Skinwalker Ranch story. It's great. And they get more into sort of like the dubious dark side of of, of what might really be going on with Robert Bigelow and and uh, who oh, he me yeah. right, right might really be working for. I mean, it's, and it's all fun and funny. Um, my, uh, <laughs> What's funny
3: about that? <laughs> well, it's all, you know,
1: they have a good sense of humor about There's everything. There's a secret
3: space force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, don't worry That's about it. Uh, <laughs> so check that out.
1: That's my recommendation for the week. Um, uh, plugs crazy ex-girlfriend is heading into its final four episodes and then it's gone for good so check that out I'll be in most of the episodes that are airing between now and the series finale April 4th um, my uh, comic book adventure van is now in a collection a, graphic, a collected graphic novel issues one through five so uh, if you're into comics talk to your comic book uh, dealer about getting a hold of that and again we will be uh, at contact in the desert doing our first yes. live show Show. get a ticket come see um, us live June 1st at 2 p.m. Uh, it's part of this big UFO convention out in the desert there's so many awesome people there and uh, we will have a special guest with us to be announced so definitely do that in the meantime uh, have a great week keep your eyes on this guys and we'll see you back here uh, next time Copy that. bye guys see you.